0: Learn more about Messianic Judaism and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. So, way back in June, my wife and I saved up to buy a table that we could use to be hospitable to guests. It was supposed to come by July or August at the latest, with plenty of time for our first house guests. My wife's mother and brother were coming just before Rosh Hashanah, uh, and we were very excited the table arrived a bit early in uh, i think it was july but when they took it out of the truck the delivery folks pointed out to me that it had a big crack in it i mean you know there are worse things that can happen to a person but you know sonia and i were a little disappointed but we also thought hey This could be something that we could pray about, right? So I ordered a replacement and the scheduled delivery uh, was for between September 4th to September 15th. So that was a big window and uh, potentially it uh, was probably going to be after my in-laws were in town. Uh, But we entrusted the situation to God and the day of her family's arrival guess what also came? Our table, Baruch Hashem. Yes, now this may seem to be a small thing, but it shows that God cares about the small things and the big things in our lives. And a table is actually very important. Raise your hand if you know that to be true. The table, yeah, that's right. You know what I'm talking about. In Judaism and in Christianity, the table is the center Of fellowship and hospitality Yeshua shared a meal with tax collectors and prostitutes to show his nearness and love for those that were on the margins the table is where we celebrate the most important holiday in the Torah do you know what that is Shabbat every Friday night that's right and the table is where we have our Passover Seder it was so important to us uh, to have a table to serve others and, uh, you know, honored guests like, uh, I guess, all of you. So I guess uh, you can all come next Friday. Is that okay with you, babe? She's not paying attention, but... Yeah, yeah she, okay, very good. All right, uh, I was going to... I had a note in here to check in with wife and then to pretend to be like, oh, I got that wrong. But she says go ahead. So I guess I'll see you for Shabbat dinner. I don't know what to say. Um, You know, the first table, the broken table, was an opportunity to hope in a restored table. There's also a broken table in the world of Narnia. How many of you have read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or seen the movie? It was uh, penned by C.S. Lewis, and it is an allegorical children's story but with Yeshua faith themes woven throughout. Four siblings, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy Pevensey, find themselves in Narnia, a fantastical world. One of them, Edmund, betrays his siblings to the White Witch in exchange for sweets and the promise to rule over Narnia all by himself. Along the way, they meet Aslan, a lion who is a kind of messianic figure. Here is a summary of the plot surrounding the table from uh, a website that I found, quote, during the winter revolution, the white witch tricked Edmund into serving her by having him betray his siblings by revealing their location to her and that Aslan had returned to Narnia. Although she had used magic food and drink in order to get him into her service, if only for a brief time, he still betrayed his siblings and by Narnia's law, he now belonged to her as as her lawful prey. When the witch made a claim on Edmund, and because of what would happen if she denied her right, Aslan spoke to her, offering himself in Edmund's place. The witch accepted, and upon the night after Aslan's army moved from their previous location near the stone table, Aslan returned there to sacrifice himself in Edmund's place. The witch had all her followers gathered at the table to witness the mighty lion, the great king of Narnia's fall and death. It was not enough, though, that he simply die, as she wanted him humiliated, tortured, and shamed. So she had him bound, gagged, and beaten, and shaved before being dragged over to the stone table, where he was executed by the witch using her stone knife. After he was killed, the white witch's army left to prepare for battle. What they didn't know was that Susan and Lucy Pevensey, two of the children, had been hiding nearby and had hopelessly and tearfully witnessed the whole thing. They spent that night keeping a vigil watch at the table over Aslan's body, grieving for his loss. At dawn, when they turned to watch the dawn, there was an almighty crack. It was a crack in the table. And the table split in two right down the middle, a broken table. And when they turned back to look, Aslan was before them again, once again alive and well. This was because the deep laws inscribed in the stone table were reversed by Aslan's sacrifice according to the deeper laws from before the dawn of time. And here is an, uh, an inscription of what is written on the table. If a willing victim that has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack and even death itself would turn backwards, unquote. So we have here two stories of two broken tables. So what is the point? The point is this. Often, something has to break. There is some kind of tearing, some kind of brokenness, or, so to speak, death, that makes way for new life healing, resurrection, and wholeness. This is how Rav Shaul puts it. So then, are we to say, let's keep on sinning so that there can be more grace? I think I have this, uh, this slide, thank you, Robert. Heaven forbid, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that those of us who have been immersed or baptized into the Messiah Yeshua have been immersed into his death. Through immersion into his death, we were buried with him, so that just as through the glory of the Father, the Messiah was raised from the dead, likewise we too might live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was put to death on the execution stake with him, so that our entire body the entire body of our sinful propensities might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin, right? So, before resurrection comes a kind of death, and we identify with Yeshua in His death, just as when we are immersed in water, which we may do this afternoon, for those of you who have not been immersed in the name of Yeshua, right? We go down with Him, and then we are raised with Him, That's the the order and the flow of things. Yeshua the Messiah puts it like this. This is from the Gospel account. Among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greek-speaking Jews. They approached Philip, the one from Bethsaida in the Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Yeshua. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Yeshua. Yeshua gave them this answer. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Yes, indeed, I tell you that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just stays a grain. But if it dies, it produces a big harvest. He who loves his life loses it, but he who hates his life in this world will keep it safe right on into eternal life. There is a dying to self, a surrendering. When does this happen? when we get a broken table, when things don't go our way, when things don't go the way we expect. That enables God to act on our behalf and bring something even better. Renewal often requires a breaking and then a building, a time to mourn and then a time to dance, a rupture and then a restructure. Even things that are good can involve a kind of tearing. As many of you know, we rent our building to Redeemer Anglican Church on Sundays. uh, And I have a few friends that go there. A few Sundays ago, I came by the synagogue to get some ice for the men's barbecue. Uh, 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 uh. I parked my car, and uh, a few cars away, as I was walking toward the shul, I saw a man sitting in his car his head in his hands, weeping. As I got a little closer, I saw it was actually a good friend of mine who had just come out of church here that Sunday morning. So I, you know, checked in with him, and uh, he told me that his daughter, who had lived with him for 19 years, was going off to college, and he was just letting out all that emotion to God. I believe it was a divine appointment that I was there at that exact moment in that exact place. So I spoke words of comfort, and I prayed for my brother in Messiah. The point is, even with something good, like a child going away to college or a child getting married, you know, there's a tearing and there's a rebuilding. This brings us to the Torah portion for Rosh Hashanah. The portion portion for the second day is the near sacrifice of Isaac, which is what we usually focus on. Or we speak about the birth of Isaac in the portion today, which is what we read from. But there's a significant story about an enslaved woman named Hagar and her son Ishmael, which is part of the Rosh Hashanah portion today. And it is almost always ignored. But I think it relates to the theme that we've been talking about. So here is that story from Genesis 21, the Rosh Hashanah portion. The child grew and was weaned. Abraham made a big feast on the day Isaac was weaned, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, making fun. It doesn't say making fun of him, it's just making fun. So the text is ambiguous. So she said to Abraham, drive out this female slave and her son for the son of this female slave will not be an heir with my son, with Isaac. Now the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's eyes on account of his son, but God said to Abraham, do not be displeased about the boy and your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her voice. For through Isaac shall your seed be called, yet I will also make the son of the slave woman into a nation because he is your seed. So Abraham got up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. She went and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba, that is, the desert. When the water from the skin was finished, she abandoned the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat herself down opposite, about a bowshot away, for she said, I can't bear to see the child dying. So she sat down opposite and lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the boy's voice, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, because God has heard the boy's voice where he is. Get up, lift the boy up, and hold on to him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew. He dwelled in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So a couple of things to notice here in this story. Number one, Hagar. Number one, Hagar. Ah, there we go. Thank you. Hagar is Hagar in Hebrew, and it means the visitor or the wanderer or perhaps the one who dwells. It's related to the word hager, which you may know, meaning resident alien or foreigner. The ones who dwelt among Israel, they were the gerim. What were we supposed to do? We're supposed to care for them and treat them with equity. Be kind to the stranger, the ger, because you were strangers in Egypt. It's also related to the verb gur, meaning to live, dwell, abide, sojourn or visit hagar hagar her name is literally the visitor compare how abraham and sarah treat this visitor hagar as opposed to the angelic visitors in genesis 18. number two we notice the expulsion of ishmael and the binding of isaac are related in the text and in jewish tradition they occur one after the other chapter 21 and then chapter 22 and they're the final two of the 10 trials of abraham laid out in the fathers according to rabbi nathan which is a commentary and amplification in the talmud of perkei avot sayings of the fathers which presents ethical and wise sayings some commentators believe that the binding of isaac is a test as a direct result of how abraham and sarah treat Ishmael, and Hagar. And the narrative structure supports this idea. It's, it's the next thing that happens. We can see that, right? They expel and mistreat Hagar and Ishmael, and therefore, in some way, they must go through the test of the binding of Isaac as a result. According to Rabbi Nathan, these ten trials also point forward to the ten wonders by which Hashem took us out of Egypt, based on the merit and suffering of Abraham. Number three, we notice God does what Abraham and Sarah fail to do. Hashem sees. Hashem provides. Hashem takes care of the enslaved woman and her son. This foreigner and servant woman, Hagar, comes to know that God is the well of water. He provides the waters of life. Perhaps, since we are made in the image of God, we should be doing more of what he did and not what Abraham and Sarah failed to do in this case. They did a lot of other good things, (laughs) but in this case, I think they dropped the ball. Number four, we ask, how did we get into this mess? Well, we have to go back a little bit to Genesis 16 to see that. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not borne him children, but she had an Egyptian slave girl. Her name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, look now, Adonai has prevented me from having children. Go please to my slave girl. Perhaps I'll get a son through her. Abram listened to Sarai's voice. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took her slave girl, Hagar, the Egyptian, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to Abram, her husband, to be his wife. Then he went to Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, in her eyes, her mistress was belittled. So Sarai said to Abram, the wrong done to me is because of you. I myself placed my slave girl in your embrace. Now that she saw, that she, now that she, saw she became pregnant, so in her eyes I am belittled. May Adonai judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, look, your slave girl is in your hand. Do to her what is good in your eyes. So Sarai afflicted her and she fled from her presence." The last verse is how we got here. Sarai afflicted her. The first mention of this word, afflicted, is a prediction to Abraham about the affliction of his descendants in Egypt. They will be enslaved and afflicted or oppressed with harsh slavery for 400 years. This is also the term used for the suffering servant In Isaiah 53, the passage overlooked in mainstream synagogues for some reason. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains, yet we esteemed him stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced uh, because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So Sarah, is afflicting Hagar in this context, the affliction of slavery, the affliction that was on the Mashiach, blessed be his name. And the fifth thing we notice is that exile leads to new life. The expulsion of Hagar into the wilderness, her exile leads to new life. There's a tearing and a suffering and a kind of death and ignoring of this enslaved foreign woman. But Rosh Hashanah is a time when we remember that God remembers, that God sees all of us, Jew and Gentile, male and female, enslaved or free. God provides for all his creatures whom he has created. And we who are Israel and the Commonwealth of Israel are called to imitate this kindness To go to the broken places and to the broken people, because in truth, we're all a little broken. And we all need new life, and we all need a new start in this season of Rosh Hashanah. In the book, Glimpses of Heaven, True Stories of Hope and Peace at the End of Life's Journey, Trudy Harris shares stories she has accumulated for years as a registered nurse. Here's an excerpt from a chapter entitled, Unless a Grain of Wheat Falls to the Ground, and that's why it caught my eye, I'd like to share it with you. Quote, Elliot was a 52-year-old physician, very esteemed by his colleagues and beloved by his family and friends. He was dying of colon, liver, and lung cancer, and he was dying quickly. The pressures of life had caused Elliot to turn to alcohol early in his career, and it had been very painful for his family. He wanted to talk about that time in his life, how it was for him, and how sorry he was to have put his family through so much pain. But even more, he wanted to talk about how God had made his presence known to him during his darkest days. He came to know forgiveness in a whole new way, he said, and since that time, he had talked and walked with him daily. This new and humbling relationship with Jesus himself had enabled him to stop drinking completely and allowed him to live to lead a loving and productive life ever since. Sometimes people who have been addicted to alcohol and other drugs seem to have a more difficult time dying than do others. Perhaps the fears that have been with them all their lives and caused them to depend on alcohol manifest themselves even more vigorously when their bodies are frail and less able to fight the fears off, Elliot confided to me one day that on more than one occasion, a creature came to him in his bedroom during the night and frightened him. He said that it leaned up against him in the bed and was very ugly. He explained to me in minute detail and felt it was an evil essence, perhaps one of the old and unknown fears that he referred to in the past. He didn't quite know what to do about it. We spoke about the fact that evil is real and that when we are tired or sick or vulnerable, we cannot allow ourselves to be overcome by it. Elliot decided that prayer was what he needed most at these times and promised to pray if the experience repeated itself. It did, just a few nights later, and this time Elliot was ready. Since he had come to know Jesus years before and was very comfortable speaking to him personally, he simply demanded that the creature leave him in jesus's holy name he needed to do this only once and when he did the creature never came back who is this god whom people like elliot speak about so often how is it that he makes himself known in such vivid and tender ways when we need him most does he really know how it will be for us when it is our time to go home to him does he want to create a soft pillow Of insight and understanding on which we can lay our heads? Does he really walk that closely with us all of our lives so we can go to him in the end feeling safe and free from fear? Eliot thought so and it was wonderful to watch the intimacy with which it was done. Eliot felt strongly that all his life had purpose and meaning, the good as well as the bad. He said often that during life we are called to learn the lessons sent to us by God. He loved having me tell him about the story of one of his favorite novels, where Saint Paul is walking on the hill at Calvary and stands looking at the three crosses there. As he is watching, the center cross, on which Jesus hangs, falls backward and into the ground. What do you see in the field behind the cross? I would ask him. Wheat fields. That's what it's all about, he would say with obvious insight and understanding. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground during our lives, it cannot bear fruit for our eternity. In his mind, Elliot felt that in his dying to self and alcoholism and in de- depending totally on the mercy and goodness of God, he was able to truly live, to, to tru- be truly free to live for the first time in his life. Elliot died peacefully one evening with his loving family beside him. He was unafraid and at peace with both his life and his death. And the lessons that God had taught him along the way. This Rosh Hashanah, let us offer our broken tables. You know, when I was sitting in the sanctuary earlier, I heard some noise. Did you hear some noise up above? You know what that is? It's a broken roof. They're repairing the roof right now. There are men working up there, <laughs> above my head, repairing our broken roof. We're offering our broken roof to God, and, and you know what they have to do to repair it? They have to take off all the old layers. It's a lot of work. Do you know how many old layers are there? Four. Because the way we repaired it in the past, we just kept putting things on it, (laughs) but when God repairs, he takes away all of the old, the broken, and brings something new. So let's offer him our brokenness, our experiences of exile and thirst, our rejections, our wanderings. Let's offer him our addictions, our humanness, Let's offer them back to God. I believe very strongly that he wants us to know him as Hagar knew him, the God who sees, the God who provides. I believe this year he is going to take our broken table and give us, in exchange, a new table to share a meal with him and with others who are seeking him in their brokenness. So let's commit to that this year. Let's commit to offering him our brokenness, our broken things, and let him repair it. Do you think I'm a, a, a good repairman for the roof? I can barely communicate with them. Just ask David Haller. <laughs> I can't do it. But he can. I believe he's going to take these broken things and give us something new. And we have the opportunity to invite others into that, to prepare the new table for them to fellowship, to fellowship with us and to fellowship with God. I believe in faith that Yeshua, the leper scholar, the afflicted one, will bring new life and a sweet new year for you in this season. Come, Lord Yeshua. Let's pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we thank you for this season. We thank you that you hear us. You are the God that sees. You are the God that provides. Help us to give you our brokenness that you can give us new life in this new year it is now 5782 we rejoice help us to prepare during these days of repentance for Yom Kippur that when Sukkot comes and when you dwell with us when you tabernacle with us we will have a strong sense of your renewal and your goodness that you are Emmanuel you are God with us and in Yeshua's name I ask all of this. Amen